and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Aoife Granville. Aoife is from Dingle, County Kerry, a flute player, fiddler, and traditional singer. She completed a PhD thesis in 2012 at University College Cork entitled We Never Died a Winter Yet, The Shroud Own Ren Boys of Dingle, Music, Community, and Identity. Aoife has held lectureship posts at Music in UCC and Newcastle University in the UK, and is currently working at the Folklore Department at UCC. She has released two solo albums to date and is working on an Arts Council of Ireland-funded project on traditional songs of the school's collection with the Irish Folklore Commission at present. Eva, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dale. And welcome to Newfoundland. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. We're delighted to have you. And this is your first trip across the pond to us, anyway. Yeah, yeah. To, to Newfoundland. I don't know if I'm saying that pro- pro- properly. Newfoundland, yeah. Newfoundland, the yeah. Newfoundland understand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Though there's, there are, of course, regional variations of in course, how people yeah. pronounce it, and it's changed over time, but yeah. understand Newfoundland is what we tell tourists okay, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. What's your first impression so far? Fantastic. I, I've been here a couple of days, and it's been really lovely to be here, and um, I find people really lovely. I am amazed by the accents. Uh, a lot of the older generation kind of reminds me of the Wexford accents and some yeah. You know, it's amazing to hear such lovely accents and regional accents and that as well. Yeah, and, and you'll you'll find that if you meet people from different different areas, especially people from the southern shore, if you meet people from you know Fogo Island, they'll they'll sound very very Irish, Irish in yeah. some ways. Yeah. It's and great. so, what brings you here? Well, I was invited over for Fela Seamus Cray um, to perform and to do a lecture. Yeah. Um, and um, I jumped at the chance. Really, it wasn't the ideal time of year, I suppose, to come for me. It started term and all that but uh, I couldn't pass it over <laughs> yeah um so there's a few performances the lecture and just meeting people and everything so I, I think it'll be the first of a few visits over here for me I love it already yeah well that'd yeah. be great yeah, yeah. yeah and so you're playing while you're here and you're lecturing yeah. on Ren Boys as yeah. well yeah. yeah so um yeah I'm looking forward to it all yeah so yeah, yeah. And your sister is joining My as sister well. has just landed, yeah, and so we'll be playing together. People assume as sisters that we get a, that we are very organized and we play a lot together, but we actually <laughs> don't get that much chance as much as we used to. I've I've just finished working in England after about two and a half years and Deirdre works in Dingle. She's a high school teacher, um, music teacher, and uh, you know, we don't get enough of a chance to play together. So this is great a great excuse to pull out a few a bit of practice anyway I suppose yeah. For us. Yeah, yeah so it'll be nice to so for for listeners who maybe haven't been to Ireland can you can you situate Dingle for us um it's it's actually we're the most westerly peninsula so I went to Cape Spears which is the, the most eastern yeah. yeah um and I'm from Dingle Town but Dingle Town is in the, it's very southwest I suppose part of of Ireland and a very scenic um part um we're an Irish speaking area officially um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of literature written about the area from the islands, the Blascot Islands. They were very revered, kind of to the west um, of Dingle Peninsula there um, through the 20th century. And I suppose the Irish language, even still there, would be quite strong. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of older traditions that survive there, and Shannos, the old Irish song tradition, and all that. So um, very kind of culture and very artsy sort of places. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Um, and did you grow up speaking Irish? Yeah, we would have had a lot of Irish in the house. I mean, my mom is from Galway and my dad is from west of Dingle. But my grandmother would have spent a lot of time on the Blasket Islands. That was where her family were from. And she wouldn't have spoken much English at all to us. And she was a great singer in that. What was her name? Uh, Lane Daly. 
or Granville Lane Daly and um, she would have been I suppose a lot of collectors would have come to her and her sisters and that even learning Irish and that so um, yeah we were brought up in that sort of environment bilingual I suppose mostly like yeah. we would have had you know yeah. so we were schooled in Irish um, so yeah I stood, when I when I eventually went to college it was music and Irish I would have studied you know so so you really come from a musical tradition then. Yeah, yeah I suppose we we're surrounded by music I did a lot of classical music as well when I was younger but we were surrounded by traditional music um and especially you know granny would have been a, one of the keeners like one of the last keeners in in the Irish tradition we used to be kind of I suppose when we were younger we didn't understand that you know that she when she saw a coffin she'd start wailing and crying and half singing and all that but you know so now when I look back at that I see that was a very special yeah. thing to have you know but we were very aware of tradition I think growing up and the language and the music we we're lots of music great musicians around us and uh, very lucky yeah so when did you when did you start to think of yourself as a musician then or did you when, when um, did you make a decision to study music um, I think I I loved it so much I suppose and I really became even though I had played a lot of classical music um, and I loved playing classical music in an orchestra and stuff I think I felt I was more myself in the traditional music and as a flute player in particular and I I saw a lot of students like um, that were at UCC in Cork actually at the time and it would have been the late 90s well I'm aging myself now but anyway <laughs> when I when I uh, decided to take a music degree there and one of the things about Cork is that it had a great tradition of welcoming traditional musicians as well as jazz musicians and classical musicians and that really appealed to me so um, yeah and I wanted to keep the Irish language on as well so I would have done Irish alongside music but um, yeah it kind of seemed like it was always in my head I think to take the music route and did you gravitate naturally towards flute yeah I always like I always loved flute I play fiddle as well but I wouldn't ever class myself as I'm more a flute player I think I'm more comfortable in that but we have a tradition in Dingle which feeds into the Wren a bit um, there's a fife and drum that do all the calendar customs so like I was part of that I was the first girl in that band actually which is hilarious because when I, I, they didn't tell me that till kind of more recently when I was questioning some of the older men in the band but I would have been maybe 11 when I joined that band and uh, that's the fife. I'm not sure if you're familiar. It's like a small little flute. So it was natural for me to progress from that. So we, I was marching with the band. It's a very traditional band. There would be no uniform there or anything. Not marching band like you'd probably be more familiar with. But um, we'd play at 6 a.m. on St. Patrick's morning where the first parade and that sort of thing, you know, quirky sort of calendar customs, I suppose. So that really helped me be more comfortable with the flute yeah. as well. You know, it was kind of more natural for me to be um, a flute player, I think. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm curious about this. Then, 11 yeah. years old, getting kind of dragged into <laughs> a tradition was that? Was did someone in your family say, "Okay, now get up at 6 a.m. and we're going to go yeah. play?" Yeah, well, or? it was funny because I suppose I had been. They were trying to get a youth kind of a band going. It, that fife and drum band, which is the town's band, and it's still very, very it takes pride place in the town's kind of community. I suppose uh, a lot of the members were older men. A lot of them were fishermen. Some of them were on the drink and some of them were off the drink and couldn't drink anymore. And there was lots <laughs> of things like that. And um, I suppose a couple of them knew that I was getting into music and I was probably showing a bit of promise, you know. So I think they had to open their ranks a little bit. To you, They were trying to get younger people involved. And um, I mean, later, I suppose a friend of mine joined as well, another girl. And my brother would have drummed quite soon after with that. So um 
I don't know, it kind of was natural. I thought everyone did it, got up cock-a-doodle-doo time to do a <laughs> march and we didn't really think about it, you know, until later, I think, you know. Yeah. I think that's a great kind of segue into where I wanted to, yeah. to, to chat with you about is 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 about calendar custom yeah. and, and these special events that happen at certain times of the year. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your, I want to I know about your early memories mm. of some of these things then. Well, I have very vivid memories of that early parade um, and when I say parade now, it's just the band. No, there's no fancy St. Patrick's Day parades or anything. And like a couple of hundred of the townspeople follow the band around a traditional route. But like it's dark. Um, and I do have very vivid memories of my first couple of marches going up to the top of the town and, you know, meeting with the older lads and take my dad bringing me like dad would have always kind of he had a great interest in it. So would bring me um, and playing the tunes and and marching around and never questioning why it was certain specific routes that we went on and you'd never go the other way around you know it's very mm, traditional routes very traditional yeah and so where would you start where would you start from? we start there's for that there's depends on the march through the year but mm-hmm. for that St. Patrick's parade we start at the very top of town and there was Dingle was an old walled town and it, the routes kind of follow that wall quite closely um, and um people are just so used to the route it's hilarious actually when I went back studying about it you know I, I was only then I was questioning myself you know we're kind of institutionalized in our little traditional rituals and routes about the cal- about those customs you know and for the different parades through the years so maybe Easter Sunday there's one and there'll be one in Bealton or May the, the band starts at different points mm-hmm. so they're slightly different routes but they're the same for each custom if you know what I mean yes, and then the Wednesday, the 26th of December, I suppose I would have been involved. I like I have very clear memories of that as well. The, the captain of the group that um, I'm part of, um, we live on that street on Shrodon or Jan Street. And I remember him knocking on the door, getting us out, you know, trying to get the younger ones involved. And there was four of us kids on the street and there weren't too many kids on the street when we were younger. So they made a beeline for us, obviously, when we were old enough to be going out. But um yeah, I have very fond memories of, like I would have learned a lot of music in those traditions, which has really shaped my own, I suppose, musical identity in ways, you know, and my interest in performance interests as well. So um, they've definitely been a huge influence, you know. So tell us about uh, the Ren Day. Yeah. Then. Well, it's funny because in Dingle, it survived. I mean, it would have been. And I'm, I'm assuming there's probably similarities here with the mumming, but um, the Wren's Day would have been very popular throughout the country in Ireland, you know, and it died out for a variety of reasons and through the 20th century in many areas. But in Dingle, it, it seems to have been an unbroken tradition, you know, and one of the reasons for it is that there's four different groups in the town. So there's quite a lot of rivalry, uh, healthy rivalry, let's say, yes. you know, and um it, it's it's a, a carnivalesque type of of tradition, and again, we have very specific roots. Each group has specific roots, and each group has a band. Um, many of those members would be part of the Dingle Band, the Five Hundred Men, for the rest of the year, but break into their own kind of um, ran group for the twenty sixth. And um, at the moment, it's really really healthy tradition. You know, we've a huge amount of younger people involved. They don't even think about going out. You know, it's such a part of them. Um, the families uh, would they feel like it's a tradition, and they're kind of such I suppose tradition bearers. Even the younger people, you know, um, and it's a great celebration. I think of community identity. It's not commercial. Um, we wouldn't have. It always happens on the twenty sixth of December, so it's the day after Christmas Day, and I suppose. 
that probably helps it being a little bit less commercial too in Ireland you know Christmas is really um, important and um, but we you'd only have the odd few tourists maybe or outsiders as such Uh, many of them end up just joining in with a group if they're there for the day Um, so it's it's mostly a celebration for the town I think the townspeople you know so walk me through what happens on the day Um, well we meet around midday um, we have a tradition of straw suits, you know, and they would be made beforehand, uh, maybe a couple of weeks of the traditional kind of straw garb. Um, and usually what happens is around midday, um, each of the groups meets in the headquarters, which is a pub. And they'll, the men or whoever wear the straw suits will get their suits fixed and people will be getting their faces painted maybe or getting themselves ready. And we usually take off then, follow the route around about by about 1 p.m., and there's we ca- there's collecting of money which is later given to charities but um you know we there's a lot of performance on the street and we kind of there's certain pubs that we would stop into and it ha- it goes on to about 10 p.m. um we do have a food stop now that we started to include maybe about <laughs> 10 years ago which was a bit was good for everyone i think um but yeah there'd be little stops along the way um and we do call to the community hospital all the groups called to the community hospital. That's a really, really important part of the route because a lot of the older people in the hospital would have been part of the Wren groups, but, you know, no longer perform. So that's a very important part. Um, and actually in 2010, there was a new community hospital built on a different site, on an entirely different site. So the routes had to be changed for all the Wren groups. And it actually was, it was quite funny because there was meetings about it for six months. And even after the first Wednesday where the new routes were people didn't know where they were going you know people were like oh my god we have to go a different way because <laughs> so we were very so used to that traditional sure, route yeah. and way around the town um and still even people are unsure of <laughs> which way they're going so it's just as i said earlier institutionalized we were saying it we certainly were for the day we were so used to those routes um but the hospital was a big part of the of the kind of pilgrimage around i suppose um so yeah it's really um during the day i suppose and during the daytime when it's light it's not as boisterous as when it gets a bit more towards the dusk and nighttime and people are dancing around a lot more and um, people are really passionate about it you know so um, I would have a lot of friends that would be living away from Dingle that just come back for the Wrens day they mightn't make it home for Christmas day they'd be doing their own things if they have families and that but the Wrens morning they'll travel and wouldn't miss it you know yeah um, so it's, it's a great celebration really yeah so uh, h- how does the musical tradition then uh, <coughs> influence the, the calendar custom? Like what, what, what kind of music are you playing? Yeah, well, the- it's kind of marching band type music. So three of the groups, um, the Shardone, which would be the one I'm part of, the Goat Street and the, the Key, they're named after parts of the town, play um, tin whistles. Like It's like a simple recorder, I suppose, mm-hmm. instrument. And there's marching drums, so snare drums and bass drum. And the other group, the Green and Gold, play fifes and drums so similar types of marching band type thing and you know there could be 20-25 musicians in each group there could be more some days and people come in and out and join it's certainly not perfection and there's people playing the wrong notes for the last 20 years (laughs) in some of the tunes but that doesn't really matter it's more about the participation and you would have a lot of um, I would see a lot of kids now the younger kids that they would just want to learn the tunes for the ran. And even if they're showing promise as musicians, they'd be like, no, no, I'm fine now. Once I have the tunes for the RAN, that's all I need. You know, I'd be trying to encourage them to learn other tunes as well. But no. Um, So they, you know, it's a very, it's popular like that. And that's what they see music as often. I think the younger people in town is just the marching music. Yeah. 
and uh, I think it's uh, it's a very lively type of music you know and um, uh, just it, I think you can hear from the music even that there's a bit of crack or good fun involved in it um, but definitely it's about participation and a lot of people wouldn't play any other day of the year apart from the Wren or during the calendar customs they're not musicians per se mm-hmm. you know there'd be few of us that play other instruments but you know. And do those tunes only get played on that day? Mostly, yeah. Uh, there'd be few now through that will say that would be part of the, the repertoire for the other calendar customs, so marches like, but generally people would only play it for the RAN. And we would have a ball night a couple of weeks, a- or maybe a week after the RAN's night, which there's a small bit of the money kept aside for a little bit, a few pints of Guinness or a little party and food, and the tunes would be played again there. Um, but generally that'll be the end of it then till you know next year so um, that as well brings a big you know people really play with gusto then and they could play the tunes like 25 times over and not get sick of them you know I maybe would get sick of them quicker than you know because <laughs> I would be playing a lot but um, they just love playing the tunes you know Yeah. Um, so and for a lot of people and I've seen it happen you know um, you might have fantastic musicians playing in a pub and tingle and the locals would be like oh yeah they're grand yeah yeah but if someone played a ran tune then they'd liven up completely. So the reaction for locals is, is it's very symbolic of their own community, I suppose, the music. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, here, in, in the communities where the Wren happened or still mm-hmm. happens, it's a, it's a house-to-house tradition. Yeah. So there is, um, uh, you come to a house and there is a traditional rhyme or a song yes. that you do and, and then you collect the money. Is, yeah. it, is it a similar? Well, in Dingle, it's funny how it's survived. It's a, I suppose it's like a little mini urban area, like it's a small town, about 2,000 people, but it survived in the town. So the tradition was that it was from public to public houses that people okay. called to. But generally, everywhere else in Ireland, and even still where it would survive, it would be to the residential homes and um, maybe certain homes that people would go to and go in and ask permission to go in or whatever. Um, the rhyme wasn't as popular like we'll say in the last hundred years certainly in Dingle or the, I couldn't find any evidence so I'm back looking you know of people using it or killing any wren bird or anything like that mm-hmm. there didn't seem to be any bird in living memory you know um, but certainly in other areas um, of Ireland um, West Limerick North Cork up in Galway and County Clare those along the coast there um, when it, where they do do the wren still it's residential homes and they recite a little bit of the song or the rhyme or whatever um, and follow a very similar thing to probably what you're talking about. Um, but just it seems a little bit quirkier and dingle or the way it survived is it's slightly different, mm-hmm. I suppose, in that way um, because of the setting. Now, a mile outside the town of Dingle, it doesn't survive in the same way at all. It's just the town within the kind of walls of the town almost. You yeah. Know. And is there a representation of a wren of some kind? That you- not generally. Yeah. Um, one of the groups, the Green and Gold, on their straw hats now have what, well, they're actually robins they put on them sometimes, you know. Um, they have a very um, elaborate straw hat uh, and uh, that they make a couple of weeks beforehand and they would often put the bird in there. But like a lot of the older lads in our group would be saying, oh, that's not traditional at all, you know. <laughs> so, you know, they just do it. I kinda, it looks nice, I suppose, and, but... Um, generally no representation of the Ran and Dingle but I do see it with the other groups and there's a great group in Kerry Kerry um, kind of on the Limerick Cork border um, and they're a great Ren group and they have even with the proceeds of, of the Ren over the years have built their own little she bean or little pub that they use you know oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, they built it themselves as well and they would have now 
they'd be kind of typical of, of a lot of the groups around the country and they have um, little wrens maybe on the captain's um, stick or on the hats as well you know yeah. so or they might have it painted on something you know but no birds you right. know, real no birds bird, yeah, or anything yeah, yeah. yeah. and it, it's it's an interesting thing here in that uh, the, the communities that had the wren um, sometimes there's a, a wren like a bird yeah. and, and wrens are not native to Newfoundland so okay, it's an yeah. interesting yeah. You know, people talk about the wren but we, we don't actually have, have a, a yeah. wren that's a native <laughs> to, the, to the island and some communities, um, the community where it really does survive, um, Collier's area, uh, people will often have some kind of, um, of an effigy of a bird on yeah. a stick that they mm. will carry from place to place. One fellow has a great story, uh, uh, Dennis Flynn has a great story about his first wren was um, the rooster off a cornflakes box. Oh and God. he had cut it off and stuck it on a <laughs> stick. And that was his, that was his wren fantastic. that he went from house to house with. <laughs> But in other places, it, it wasn't. It was a tree that, or a branch that might have decorations on it. Yeah. Or, or in some places, people would just kind of use the expression, like, to be on the ran. Yeah. Just meaning to be on a bit of a tear, like going yeah. to house to house for a bit of a drink. Yeah. Well, I would say that would be how it's taken in Dingo <laughs> anyway, certainly. And it's funny because my mom is from Galway, East Galway, and she would remember when they were younger that and the thatched houses the roofs you could catch the, the wrens nested there so they were very easy to catch so the lads her brothers and I would have oh, you'd just yeah. stick your hands up basically and you'd nearly get a wren so they have kind of memories of that but no in Dingle now mm. there doesn't seem to be as much you know uh, but definitely on the ran would mean having a good day having out. a good day yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah in yeah. certain communities I think it could yeah. still be taken that way uh, I, I'm curious about you, your your academic research in this what what did you discover about the tradition that kind of surprised yeah. you or was new to you well I suppose one of the things that I'm to say as well like I mean I didn't ever see myself doing a PhD it wasn't that but I felt that the tradition when I went away from Dingle I suppose I kind of realised actually how unique it was in many respects and the music and all that and it hadn't been recorded or hadn't been I suppose properly documented um, from a musical perspective as well as from a folklore point of view there were different things that had been done but not kind of modern day and uh, so I wanted to do that I suppose while there was a lot of the older generation around Mm -hmm. Um, and what I suppose one of the things I knew I suppose going into it is that you know it was so important as a part if I kind of mentioned about the music you know in terms of community identity and even the tradition as a whole like people are so committed to it in Dingle and a couple of miles outside they're not you know they have no they wouldn't have the same regard to the calendar custom thing so it's it's quite unusual and people are, feel very strongly about it. So I wanted to kind of capture that as well um, or try and get them to speak about that. And of course, the older generation it was a little bit difficult sometimes. But what I really was surprised at is some of the younger people and their thoughts on it and how they felt about it and how strongly they felt about the tradition and the music and keeping it alive. You know, and people that I wouldn't, that I were kind of, in, in lots of ways when I was doing fieldwork, they were nearly afterthoughts. They weren't people that were totally involved or immersed in it or but they would take part you know and a lot of the local footballers on the GA team now like would would dress up each year in a different they get their own outfits it's all surprise like they order in September something that's kind of in the news or something we don't know till the Wednesday what they do but I spoke to a few of them and like they were saying you know we're, we're so proud of this tradition and we're so proud of the music and it's so much 
uh, a part of our dingleness that kept going on about it. And I said, jeepers, if, if I had paid them, they couldn't have said what I wanted <laughs> to pay, you know, yeah. as well. Like, yeah. And that really surprised me. And it gave me great um, hope about it as well. Like it wouldn't be, you couldn't see it being in any way a fear of dying out or anything, which was great. Um, and I suppose I did look at the music in terms of... Um, the tradition as well and, and it's very specific style wise um, and we've a lot of I found a lot of comparisons with other military traditions like I did some um, research at other carnivals in um, Europe like Fasnacht and Basel and I went to Bonfire Night in Lewis and things like that just together and I did some research in Shetland I didn't get to Shetland but I interviewed a lot of um, people there about Opelia so other kind of traditions that are have different kind of maybe origins but there's lots of similarities in, in, in different things so um, yeah it was you know there was lots of things I found out I suppose um, along the way as, but um, yeah I suppose what sticks out is the passion I suppose in that of the people mm-hmm. that I knew you know I knew most of them but I think one of the interesting things about the, the Ren tradition in, in Colliers is that it, it is a tradition that has survived without any revitalization yeah you know there, there, there hasn't been a heritage committee that has yeah. said we need to preserve this yeah. and, and have kept it going it's something that just local people like I, I know in uh, in color some of the local volunteer firefighters like it's, yeah. it's part of their tradition mm. it's what it's what they do and there's a group of older men and now of younger people who, yeah. who have kept it running whereas we see other traditions like mummering mm. where it has there it has been become something that um organizations have yes. kind of taken on and said mm. oh this is important we need to preserve this yeah the nice thing about it in in some communities is that it kind of it, it comes out of the earth you know it, yeah. it's its own thing and and it's so interesting because i spoke with a lot of um groups ren groups that were or rhymers or mummers fingal mummers around dublin who 25 years ago made a made a an effort to revive mumming and the Wren sort of around Dublin and County Dublin and you know they say it themselves it's very challenging at times because you're going into pubs or houses mightn't let them in you know so they go to pubs and people have no interest in listening to them the soccer is on the telly and the Wren's day so they realise the challenges of it and I say God you know that would never happen in Dingle well I hope it would never happen in Dingle but you know I can't it's so hard to believe that that would happen in a place where there hasn't had to be any effort now there'd be times where people might want to get a few more whistle players in or get a few more of the younger ones in a group or whatever um, and there'd be a bit of an effort like that to, but that it wouldn't you know we've never it's never died out or anything um, that we know of Um so there's different, you know, we don't have, we don't face those challenges, thankfully, you know, of of trying to get people involved. Like, I mean, if you don't dress up on the Rams Day in Dingo, people think you're a complete weirdo, you know, <laughs> you know, and that and they would, you know, when I started doing um, some, I was trying to get some video when I started researching first. And of course, I went down without a mask or without any disguise on me taking video. And it was ridiculous because they were picking me up and they were, everyone knew me, you know, and they were all disguised and they were you know I, was, I still don't know who the people were that came up to me so I had to go home and dress up and come back out with the video because they were like who does this one think she is now <laughs> you know so you know it's great it's a great it's a great thing like so what do you think the future is of the tradition in Dingle then? Um, well I, I I suppose I just see it being the same one of the things I suppose there's a there's an element of the older generation that wouldn't parade as much anymore but we might meet them at the end of the night and they might join in and play some of the music for me I suppose the music some of, there's a little the changes in the music are a little bit different you know we're probably a little bit more polished and, and things like that 
now and the style might be changing in terms of the music but I think the tradition itself you know even with the younger people you know I suppose they're so aware a lot of the ones that are involved now of of continuing it on um, learning how to make the straw suits things like that um, they take great pride you know we have one family now in our group the Moorins and Sean Moran who's be- I suppose he's around 80 now, was a former captain of the group. And then he has, his son is involved, all the grandkids are involved and they're very aware that they're doing what their granddad did, you know, or that one day they'd like to be captain. So I don't really see things changing um, over the next, you know, it'll continue as it is. And I I think we're getting more outsiders in that are moving into the area as well. So it's all good, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I wanted to thank you very much for coming. You're very welcome. Thank you. And and yeah, I'll have to come over for uh, you definitely will. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and you'll have to come back for our Mummers Festival. Absolutely, I'd love to. Thank you, Eva. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>